Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Today, the cool kids are talking about how to inspire self-directed learning. Our conversation today is centered around the concept of leading a horse to water. We've all heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And that's true. But... You can add sugar to the water to add a little flavor. So first and foremost, in order for people to be interested in learning, the learning must be interesting. No interest, no learning. No relevance, no learning. No application, no learning. It's a simple concept, right? Well, not so much. It's not quite as easy as that. So the big question on the table today, what can we do to add flavor to the water to help people become more inspired and invested in their own professional growth and development. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday and welcome to another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. As I like to say, as all the cool L&D peeps hang out, that's where we all are. The party is here every other Friday. And if you're not here, well, then you're just not part of the party. So you need to be here. And today we are talking about inspiring self-directed learning. And for me, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I think by providing self-directed opportunities for people within workplaces, especially that they can take ownership and grab hold of not only their own knowledge, but they can also grab hold of the growth of their own careers, right? By putting it into their hands. We all struggle though with the same part of self-directed learning, which is how do we get people invested in the first place? You know, a lot of our learners are used to being spoon-fed, right? They're used to having the content dumped on them. They're used to us telling them what to research, what to look for, where to find it. So they are used to our own very specific instructions for this. And so I suppose we've become a victim to our own methods (laughs) that we have trained people to look towards us for guidance and for all the learning necessary for their professional development. How do we break that cycle? That's really what I'd like to talk about today. And I'd like to talk about not only that, but how can we inspire them to be deeper into their own knowledge, to take it deeper, and the techniques or success stories that you all have with this. And maybe it even starts with yourself. Maybe what we do for ourselves may work for what other people are looking for in the workplace. So maybe you have a successful story about how you are guiding your own self-directed learning. And then also I put in the white paper in the email that went out yesterday about the difference between self-directed learning and self-regulated learning. I don't know how many of you read that, but that made me go, hmm, that's an interesting take. I hadn't thought about it that way. 
but we're really not talking about self-regulated learning. And for those of you who are listening to this after the fact, I'll put a link to that white paper in the show notes and also in the resources. Yeah, I'm with you, Don. I had never heard of that distinction, never heard of it. And that fishbowl analogy was good. And the fishbowl analogy was that you've got fish in a fishbowl, they can go up, they can go down, they can go left, they could go right, they can go anywhere they want in the fishbowl, but they're still in the fishbowl. And that would be self-regulated learning. So the regulated learning part of the analogy is the fishbowl, right? They could do anything they want in the middle, but you're still within the confines of the fishbowl. But enough from me. What about you? Who's going to kick off this conversation about self-directed learning techniques, experiences, et cetera? You had the fishbowl analogy. I've often said that learning is like an ocean and our job is to sort of put that water into a swimming pool and then they can choose how they want to swim with it. So yeah, just another way of describing that. I often struggle with participants on the exactly that piece around that transition from being spoon-fed, if we want that, with the bibs. I love that, Maureen, which can feel a bit of a cop-out to people that have been used to being spoon-fed and not used to working in their own way and really helping with their own sort of needs analysis and really understanding how they can build on it. So my comment is, I think it's really hard to move an organisation from one move to another. And you'll find some adopters who like the ease with which that can be done and the freedom that that gives them. But for most people, I'm struggling to make it stick or have in previous roles struggle to make it stick. So question, is it just me? (laughs) (laughs) I would suspect it's not just you. Let's hear from somebody else. Similar pain point? I think what resonates with me and what I've found has resonated with other people is just highlighting that it's actually quite natural to be curious about things and, and wanting to find out about things and that we do do it all the time. But like on weekends, you're wanting to fix something up in your house or, you know, you go onto YouTube. So I think starting with that sort of very simple analogy of that, it's something that we're actually all doing all the time. And then building on that natural way of what we do when we're not at work, building on that to bring it into the workplace. It's also something that we can do and can benefit from in the workplace. I think that's common. We have people and and they want to perhaps take ownership of their own learning, but they don't know where to start. And so how can we maybe be more of the curator or the connector of learning, you know, rather than letting them flounder about? Because I think if they flounder about, then they might have a tendency to give up, right? I was on a project whereby it was in a manufacturing environment and a lot of the existing manufacturing staff were retiring and they were taking with them a lot of implicit knowledge. So what we did was we looked at putting together a capability development program whereby we set the fishbowl, we defined the the fishbowl, and within that we identified the learning outcomes or performance outcomes, what we needed people to be able to do. And that kind of started it off because people often don't know what they don't know. And that defines it. And it was quite an eye-opener for a lot of people because they were like, oh, I didn't know that we were meant to know how to do that or I didn't know that was something possible. So that we used that as a starting point and then from that we 
determine, well, what tasks or what activities can people do to be able to help them achieve those performance outcomes? Anyone else doing that? Putting together sort of a quasi, if you will, learning journey or suggestions of learning journeys. If you go here, you can do this. If you participate here, you might achieve that. I like to say that I have created, well, I don't know if learning paths, but created online courses to help managers and employees to develop their leadership skills or for employees how to complete self-assessments and how to take advantage or of the performance review meetings and a lot of resources for managers. But if it's not related to compliance, people, <laughs> most of them, they don't want to even open it and take it. So that's one of the struggles, even with a learning path. Like these are the suggestions for performance reviews, for a learning development program, for leadership skills, etc. And if it's not compliance, then it becomes a like real struggle. And I agree. And Laura, I, I see you. I do want to touch on Katrina's comment in the chat real quick, because I think that that's a very real barrier to entry, if you will, is that the demands and support that they experience on the job, they meaning our workforce that they experience on the job, gets in the way. So that Burnson by Deloitte report tells us that two out of three workers struggle to find time to do their own jobs. And that was the modern learner by Burnson by Deloitte. And that's a very real thing. So if two out of three people are struggling just to do their day jobs, finding time to do or participate in their own professional growth and development is going to be a struggle as well. I think there's a piece there, too, that they often get punished for taking the time away for that development. So I think as as learning development professionals, we can do a lot to support them. But until that change happens with their managers and with leadership to support them and to give them the space for learning, we are kind of spinning our wheels. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I agree. I was just having a conversation an hour before this meeting about that very thing that, you know, we want to make sure. And this was even with like new hire onboarding or new hire experiences that people are eager to get into their role. And so you know, I was trying to flip the, oh, it all needs to be done in like two days or three days. And I was like, but what if it were like, there's an hour a day or three hours a week or whatever for a certain amount of time that is dedicated and that the manager is supportive of people learning those things about being a new hire. And it goes back to a lot of the questions or comments in here about, you know, the ongoing sponsorship support. Is that something that, that unless there's a learning culture that comes, I think, from the very top that says, yes, this is important for all of us to do this. We're limited. I mean, you have in your thing, we can bring the horse to water, we can't make them drink. So how do we provide those experiences that are still flexible enough that people can do it? And then it's a it's a pull and not a push. Because the other thing is, is in my organization, a lot of people just equate learning with the mandatory kind of compliance training. There's a bolus of that, especially up front when you start like where there's no context, but you have to do it in order to do even like touch a machine or work on a process. So it's an afterthought sometimes, or if there's a little bit of time, maybe you squeeze something in and then you look at things. But I think so much of it comes from the the individual and their own motivation to prioritize it. Like, I don't think that we can necessarily 
prioritize it for them. Right. Right. Yeah. We can't do that. And uh, so Laura, I didn't want to forget about you. You did have your hand up. It's moved on and there's so many interesting oh, things. Well, that's okay. Go back. <laughs> but to Gabby's point, which was around that sort of curated learning, we've recently done, um, and I've joined a new organization in the last sort of five months. And uh, I inherited a PDR, a performance development review process. I put together a lot of resources from LinkedIn Learning because we weren't offering any face-to-face training at the time. What was interesting was everybody was saying, we don't have training. And then they started looking at that, thought, oh, yeah, we do have training, but then didn't really seem to apply it. So, you know, you can lead them to water, can't you? And they don't make them drink and apply it. So I think there's something there about the self-directed, they chose what they wanted to do, but it was still within a framework of what they needed. But actually trying to, to make that transition over, I think, is much more difficult if it's more self-directed because they may not know what they don't want to know. That was the point I wanted to make on that one. And on the points around people struggling to finish the job, maybe an insight from a conversation I just had. Like more okay. I've <laughs> really been having these conversations today, which was somebody who was basically saying that the reason their team, which is a front-facing team, doesn't do the training is because they're not, unlike other people in the organization, allowed to work from home for the day. And that's really what they needed to do. They needed to be able to work from home because they once a week because they needed to be able to do the training. So that was a very interesting um, conversation because actually there is no training that, that that team is required to do that is necessitates them to take one day a week. They actually are trying to use this as a bargaining chip to say we won't do the training unless we are allowed to work from home. So it was actually talking with that manager and saying, can we not sort of dedicate some time? You know, they're half an hour blocks. We can book a room out for the day. They can go there with a coffee, not part of their coffee break but you know they can go there with a coffee just sit and do the training and we can schedule in you know a couple of people to sit there with with earphones doing it and then perhaps have a little community of practice and a discussion afterwards about it and and that's how we move that group through quite quickly to some of the mandatory stuff they've not been doing so I think sometimes it's interesting to think what else is going on that they're not doing it and for me that felt like it was a real bargaining chip and a hostage situation on that one. <laughs> Hold them hostage. But I think there's something to what you're saying which is providing them with at least an environment. Give them at least an environment to go to. If that's how you want to put forward the mandatory stuff fine, but I think even just having a, an environment and a time to say here's 15 minutes Here's the learning room or whatever you want to call it. 15 minutes, have at it. And in this room, maybe you can see the suggested paths or or what have you. So that alongside the community idea, I think is really good because people want to clearly talk about their experiences and what they're learning. I really like that idea too, as a way to build in self-directed learning as part of a cohort you know, building in that community. Todd, I see your hand. Shannon, I was thinking more fundamentally, like if we're creating inspired self-directed learning, what's our jumping off point? And thank you, Maureen, for bringing it up, the push-pull. Obviously, you have a different starting point if you have an eager beaver who is, again, since somebody threw out onboarding training, eager to learn about the position in the company and yada, yada, yada. So you got to push a bunch of resources to them, but it's a lot different with the poll individual. And are we starting from that perspective or what perspective in looking at how to motivate? I agree. 
Anyone have a response to that? Justine? What I found was when we put together programs to encourage people um, in self-directed learning, some people took it and ran with it and absolutely saw the benefit for them personally, for their growth and everything. And we often saw them then move into positions and opportunities within the organization that they might not have had. And then they became the source of inspiration for other people who didn't quite grab it and run with it. They saw the person getting the promotion over them, getting the higher salary, getting the recognition, and that was their inspiration. So I think we don't, we don't always have to be the inspiration. We can try and, you know, a bit like a pebble dropping in water, we can start the ripple effect and then other people can also be an inspiration to others. One of the ways that we can do that is to kind of ease people into learning. And one of the things that I found that seems to be growing in popularity and is very enjoyable is short animations with uh, Beyond. Everybody, I think we all grew up watching cartoons and who doesn't like enjoy watching a little cartoon explainer video to kind of ease you into a topic or something like that. So I think that's, if we're going to go like, what are the brass tacks about how to get moving on developing something that's inspiring, I would suggest that. I don't know if if it's a user interface everybody can learn or if it's more particular towards people with a development mindset, but I think it's a great tool. And I've seen a lot of companies using it just to kind of show a cartoon to introduce somebody to a topic. That's an interesting idea. I can see how you could use this. So if you created, regardless of if it's an animated video or if it's a business sponsor video talking about the importance of professional growth and development, you could have a topical video that sits somewhere that says, this is why you should go down this path, XYZ path. If you learn more about XYZ topic, this is how it's going to affect your career development within this organization, right? So they could be leaders. They could be leader videos, not necessarily teaching somebody something, but it's like, all right, what do I want to learn today? And then you can have these topical type of videos that say, did you want to learn about basket weaving? Well, click here. We're going to tell you why, how, the purpose for, et cetera. And I, I think that that could be a great lead on to build interest into something because as you all said, you don't know what you don't know. And brain science tells us that when people are put in front of a multitude of options. Yeah, that's true. And I like to say, break the template too. If somebody doesn't have the design skills or the knowledge about something like Beyond or the subscription, if you're at an organization that won't fund it, there's ways to introduce people to a new topic through a scenario or storytelling or something like that. That's one way we can kind of walk somebody down the primrose path of wanting to learn more is by, like like you said, suggesting to them what are the benefits if they you know learn more in this area. You know, maybe they don't know. Maybe they're just new to the area or the topic or whatever. And we need to kind of show them more of the bigger picture through a creative story. Well, anybody can write a creative story. Well, not anybody, but it doesn't take development dollars and, and software and stuff to write a story that you can put into, you know, an intro. 
So that's all I was suggesting. And I agree. I think the biggest thing that we can do within our own positions right now is to be that connector, you know, to be that connector of knowledge, to be that curator of knowledge, to be the champion. And can we fix a learning culture within our organizations? No, you're spending valuable energy trying to change something that isn't there. We don't own learning, right? We don't own it. We might be part of the function, but we don't own it. People learn their own learning, as I've seen you guys say in the, in the chat. So our job is how can we help point people in the right direction and make this a tastier bit? I recently spoke to someone. They were asking what I did, and I explained to them that I had a multimedia design background that I kind of parlayed into adult learning and developing e-learning. And they said, oh, e-learning. Oh, God. Oh, you're one of those people that make that boring stuff. And I was just like, no, God, please, you don't. <laughs> yes, that's the reputation we have. And that's like the third or fourth person that's, that said that. As soon as you say e-learning, they're like, oh, you mean that stuff I have to do? And I'm like, I do different e-learning. There is a perception issue that we have as a learning industry as well, all around that, that that could be a whole other hour's worth of conversation which is how do we break the mold of our own branding that we've done for ourselves? I think we should make it more like writing for TV or film. <laughs> totally agree with you. Chester, I see your hand. I'm throwing around some ideas in the chat here, but I'm proposing maybe, maybe the opposite approach. Let me tell you a story here to emphasize this. I used to work for Boeing. I've operated in both the um, office environment and the manufacturing factory environment. In the factory, we have, you know, 80 employees and one computer. In the factory, if you stop working on the airplane, you're not building airplanes, right? So the idea of, of all of these employees stopping what they're doing and taking training throughout the day, it's just not. Not realistic in your world. It's not realistic in that world. And by the way, I've worked in companies where professional roles were the same, especially in sales. If you're taking time to do training, you're not doing a sale or you're not marketing, you're not, you know, so very high paced roles where I, I don't know who was mentioning it earlier, but yeah, it's almost punishing them to take time off. Right. And that was the discussion that we had the last coffee chat when we talked about sales training, right? That windshield time, it means something. It's money in their pocket. Yeah. So my observation here is I've seen self-directed learners in these environments and they behave differently than everyone else. Self-directed learner in a manufacturing environment, they take classes in the evening. Self-directed learner in a manufacturing environment, they ask for assignments that get them doing things that they haven't done before or stretch their skills. They ask for it. They're not assigned it. And you could say similar things about people in sales. So whether or not we put you know, e-learning or digital resources in their hands, in my experience, that doesn't have as much impact as having like a self-directed learner. To me, that's the key. What I'm imagining here is what if we shifted our focus? And I guess it wouldn't have to be, I'm not proposing that we've like stopped building training or anything like that, but think about self-directed learning more like a soft skill. You can't just go tell somebody to have emotional intelligence. It takes effort. It takes transformational learning, heat experiences. You have to make them uncomfortable. They have uncomfortable experiences, I guess, the in the workplace. And, and eventually over time, they develop emotional intelligence. I think you can develop 
employees into self-directed learners using the same types of approaches. If we had that emphasis or if we placed some kind of priority on that, what would that do for our ability to, to build capability within a company? And should we have that responsibility? Maybe I would advocate for that if I were in a position to, uh, to be able to do that. Totally with you. And I don't think anyone here is suggesting that we build training for self-directed learning. I think what the variety of ideas is, you know, how do we get people just in the mindset space? You know, for some people, self-directed learning is an adventure. Like you said, Chester, they'll ask for it, sometimes even demand it. I want this time. I want to be able to do this. This is the direction I'm going in. And if you're with me, great. If you're not with me, great. So you've got a lot of people who have that particular mindset. Others, I think there are two other categories. Those who want to, but don't know what it means because they've never had that kind of guidance before because they've gone through grade school, high school, university, all being very, very guided, very, very structured. But they want to take this adventure, just not quite sure how. Then you have others who believe that they already know everything that they need to know. I'm done. And not really realizing that every day is a learning journey. We all pick up something new every day. You know, whether or not we recognize it as learning is a totally different argument. So I think we've got these three buckets of people. And seeing those people through those particular lenses, I believe, is going to be helpful for us. Just like you said, Chester, we got to think about context, right? Contextually, a salesperson isn't really going to want to take time away from their work day because that means they're taking commissions out of their pocket. Manufacturing people literally cannot because if they're not turning the widget, nobody's turning the widget and the widget needs to be turned. Things, production, healthcare. There are a variety of different industries where this becomes a struggle just because of their day-to-day jobs. So now what, what is our role? How do we help? And that's where I'm, I'm suggesting that they're advocating for helping people learn to be self-directed and to create, and I asked earlier if it's a mindset or a habit. Both. Yeah, and making self-directed learning intrinsic for them through transformational learning. If you're not a self-directed learner, then you know, similar to developing emotional intelligence, why not work on that with the employees? Well, how do we do that? Let's get out of the theoretical and, and let's talk about practical application. How do we get them to become better self-directed learners? It's part of inspiring, isn't it? Yeah. My mental model for developing uh, soft skills for employees, I, you can have training on it and, that, and it's helpful to give them and you know the idea that it exists, but you also have to do experiential learning. And just like the other soft skills, you have to put them in a position to where or they need to do self-directed learning in order to be successful. I hate the buzzword, some of this stuff, but everybody's what's in it for me is different, right? Yeah. So even to help define some of that may enlighten us to opportunities or ways to generate that excitement or what's the car chase or the explosion for this person that's going to draw their interest to it. And then once we develop something that is, oh, wow, this is pretty gosh darn cool, that solidifies or creates that competency and confidence that, oh, there's more. Oh, that was good. I would like more, right? It's just, how do we find a way to push them off the shelf, so to speak? And how do we learn about them? 
how do we learn about them first before? Right. People, people tend to learn about things that they care about. If they don't care about it or don't have a reason to care about it, well, they're not going to care about it. And until we understand what they care about, we can't give them a reason to care about it. There's the biggest chasm I see. Yeah. And I think that's where it has to be transformational. And, and I think the a successful way to do that is to push the learning to the managers. You develop managers to know how to do that, to develop their employees. So they build it into their work. It's so hard to do without rebuilding wheels, though, right? Changing existing paradigms. It's a big hurdle. <laughs> yeah. I was at a training a couple weeks ago and this training doctor group was talking. I don't know if anybody was on that, but <laughs> what they did. Learning they, rubble they plugs did. only here. No, yeah. it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> so, so I love this and I ordered it. They've created a book of 25 activities that managers can do to create, to develop soft skills in their employees. It's activities that they do, that they can do like in the flow of work, trying to help managers learn how to create assignments for their employees that will build those soft skills. The 26th activity would be on self-directed learning, you know, giving managers the tools to learn how to create activities in the flow of work that will build the self-directed learning mindset. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, I'm loving this conversation. I'm just going to sit back and eat some popcorn. It's a worthy conversation. Are there any other voices that want to come into this conversation? With my company, we're meeting with a, I forget the name, it's an international school. The students are from all over the place and they're all, you know, in their early 20s and stuff. And we work a lot on how to build community because when you have that community support, peer-to-peer -peer learning, all of that, it helps add to the learning culture too, where it becomes the norm and not the exception. But there's a lot of fear stuff out there. People who had it unpleasant time at school or it's boring or they're so afraid of having the wrong answer they're not engaged and i guess that falls on us as instructors i taught a class the other night and there's this one woman who didn't want to participate and we became friends but afterwards she said i didn't really understand what you wanted me to do well that was on me as the instructor that was my i failed at that i didn't explain it well enough you know but it was good you know we i was engaging enough that she felt okay asking me now that's one on one but you know, I just think community and more fun. As grownups, we are not having nearly enough fun. Truth. Preach on, Donna. Man, drop the mic on that. But you all are making great points. It is on us to understand who our quote unquote customer is. If you are in a workplace that is struggling with a culture of learning in general, the idea of self-directed learning is going maybe so far out there that it's like, man, that's a topic for a different day. I'm just still trying to get them to take their ladder safety courses. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know what else to do about that. But I do believe that there is a value to what Chester was saying, which is sometimes it, it is a soft skill, you know, learning to learn. Not to say we need to put people in yet another course in order to help them be self-directed learners. That's really is not the point. But again, how do we build that interest, you know, those car explosions, and maybe it starts there. And maybe it goes back to Todd's point with, could we create something that explained the value of learning to learn? Not making it mandatory, but it sits there. Maybe you can have managers participate in that. Maybe you're creating something fun with the managers to help them understand the more they teach, the more they learn to expand the desire to learn more. It's baby steps, 
right? It's baby steps. We're not going to just pop into our organization and say, okay, we want everyone to be self-directed learners. We know that's not going to happen, right? So identifying these different ideas that you guys are talking about right now, really, really important. And also to understand that not all of these ideas, which is why we have all of you here, not all of these ideas is going to work for everyone's place, organization, people within their organization. So the rich amount of ideas coming out of this right now, very beneficial. So I'd love to hear more. We have to kind of stay in the realm of theory because there's just so many possibilities and options and different types of learnings and modalities and whatnot. But one more, I think, concrete way we can help people break the mold and want to choose learning more is giving them more power and control when we can, nonlinear menu systems so that people can choose which direction they want to go, maybe taking you know more branching scenario type ideas into menu ideas. So you have an option to choose whether you want to go to A, B, or C, and you can go down that path as far as the submenus go. But we have to break out of this linear slide-by-slide mold that PowerPoint created for everybody in the past. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's great. I, I love that idea. As you're saying it, I can visualize it. Right. And it goes back to one of the ideas we had at the very beginning. So if you put out these quasi learning plans and say, here's how you go from a beginner or a rookie salesperson to a person who feels more competent and confident in closing sales, here's a suggested path. And then maybe on that path is negotiation skills. And if they clicked on that, then maybe there could be some curated bits, books, articles, videos, TED Talks, et cetera, curated bits on that. And then they can go wherever they want if they want to go to the next one. And you can create a variety of different topics like this. And again, that goes to Chester's point. We're helping them to explore. And maybe the first part of each of those bits is the importance of learning to learn and some more curated bits about when it comes to learning to learn, study techniques or reading techniques or whatever you want to put in there, you know, your curated ideas to help build that soft skill because it is a soft skill. And I do believe you have to have the right mindset in order to develop the habit. One goes before the other. So you have to have the mindset of wanting to eat healthier in order to take yourself to a healthier lifestyle, right? You got to have that, you got to have that mindset in place. And so we can build that. I think all of your ideas kind of go there. And then perhaps what if you took those learning journeys and you gained management support? And I have said this over and over again with you all. And I know I probably sound like I'm kicking a dead horse on yet another call. It's about activating managers sooner in the process. You have managers help you develop this. You get their insights. You get subject matter experts insight. If we build this very loosely defined learning journey, what would you suggest that they take? What have you read? What books have you read? What have you watched, et cetera? So I think that there's something there that we can help to inspire this. Can I aim this just a slightly different direction? Absolutely. I think we've all agreed that this is an ongoing challenge and it will probably forever. But and I don't want to say a negative outlook on this is what are we defining as success in this? Right. So is success, we've changed it from a none percent to a 10%. 
and then find the win there and then build on that win. You don't have to take the whole mountain. You can't eat the elephant all in one sitting, right? We take these bites, as you were saying, and find out what made that successful so that we can expand the scope of that and from there so that it's not the, oh, oh, such a heavy bag. We can lighten up the bag a little bit and then maybe make it a little easier. I agree. What are your thoughts, everybody? What's the aim? What's the end goal out of all this? Just coming in with a bit of a a different angle, but this is where my difficulty is, is that I have leaders who are not fully employing the, you know, the LMS and all the content that we have. And I want to do a learning journey, but at the end, then I have groupthink because everybody is going to look exactly and sound exactly the same because they've all kind of gone through this, this same path on what good looks like. So one of the things is I want them to fall in love with learning and then you know, once they've done my my journey to say, I want to go learn even more, but that's where I was hoping to maybe hear from, from this group. Like, how do you aspire to inspire to get them to do even more than, than that minimum? I like it. So yeah, to keep moving forward. So if you've got people who have this sort of excitement, how do you keep them moving forward or encouraging others to move forward? Because for me anyway, the trending carrot, you know, saying, hey, this is what other people are checking out that works. That's working for me, but it's the getting them to then stumble upon something else fabulous that I'm struggling with. I think it goes back to the movie analogy. So what happens when a new movie comes out? People review it. You know, you have your fresh books reviews and you've got YouTube reviews, you have all the reviews. So if you could get your champions talking about this in some way, shape or form, then that may encourage others to come along on the journey with them. But they may also see a person who is in that same spot as they are and seeing them grow. And they're like, oh, I want to follow what they're doing. So I want to follow along that path. The more people you can get talking about it and you gathering those pieces of information and putting it into a live space, that's the best way, right? Word of mouth. How can we build on that? Well, I think it's going to depend on what it is. I mean, but some ideas could be if collaboration or building like your peer networks is important, they could almost facilitate a book club discussion or like if it's something that they learned, you know, there could be like a quick a lunch and learn or something where they're sharing what it is. I think it still depends. I mean, actually, like when you're in person, food always is a big draw, like at lunchtime or <laughs> have snacks. But yeah, I mean, it is the struggle is like, how can we find like a carrot, you know, for people to participate? I know I like this is again in the past and it's a food thing. But like if you participated in a group, like you got a lunch pass that you could lose use later. So I wasn't doing it for the lunch pass, but that was a nice perk. I mean, I think you have to respect that people have a lot on their plate. So sometimes it's a build that they will come and just be like, okay, have have a couple people and let them also then advocate for the next one. And just, I mean, have realistic expectations if you start something that there may be fewer people who are participating, but as word gets round, they will. I mean, it it has to do with a, again, a, a pull versus a push. Actually, I'm participating in a program right now that it's nice because it's like people from across the organization and outside of like who I would usually be working with. And one of the nicest things about it is it doesn't involve any pre-work. You go to the session, so it's on your calendar. 
we all watch a short video, like a snippet of a TED talk or something that's, you know, just an engaging video. And then there are guided conversation questions. And again, it's a peer who's facilitating that who doesn't have necessarily facilitation experience, but they're just helping guide the conversation. And we have conversation guides that accompany each of these sessions. And they happen every four to six weeks. So it's not anything that's like, you know, like, my gosh, it's a burden to participate in this, but it's just neat to start that conversation with people from other parts of the organization and to learn more. That triggered an idea for me. I don't know about the rest of you. And by the way, this was all done not by learning. So I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, that's what we should be doing. So it's almost like because it wasn't sponsored by learning, I think there's a greater participation. So maybe it's to put our egos aside and say, it doesn't have to come from us. It's about changing and shifting and people wanting to learn and gather and kind of meet new people virtually. Completely agree with you. Yes. I, lo- I love that. And like I said, that that just popped up a few ideas in my head. It is about being peer-led and that's the best part of it. And that's what's going to encourage everyone, you know, to continue to move forward in their own journeys when they see their peers doing it, when their peers are talking about it. Yeah. And it was voluntary whether you wanted to even participate. You know, it's limited the number of people. So that created this like urgency to sign up sooner rather than later. And then it was also, are you interested in being a facilitator? And so it's a pull, not a push. Pete was voluntary to do that. And, but then they had such an overwhelming response that they actually now have kind of makeup sessions on the books. So for people whose cohorts couldn't meet, or their small groups couldn't meet, they're facilitating sessions that work and in different time zones and the whole bit. So it's interesting. And we meet people in small breakout rooms. We have conversations. So it's just neat to meet other people across the organization in a non-work-related way, but we can apply what we learned to our personal lives and to our work lives. And so it's all integrated. Yes. Thank you for that. Todd, I don't know if that was an old hand you had up or a new hand you had up. Oh, no, it was a new hand. It was reminding me what, what Maureen was saying about, I think it was Elliot Maisie who came up with Wisdom of the Crowds. And we've got to get them involved collaborating and talking together in some way, shape or form. Unfortunately, the tech is this, you know, stopper with that. I mean, very large corporations use stuff like Yammer and it's just not something people want to go out there and share their heart and their personal soul on. So I wonder if there was tech ways in the future that we can kind of break off and have break off rooms in large technology. It's almost something that's really needed. I think that's a great question for our next coffee chat, where we are going to talk about cultivating workplace learning communities, right? So that's a good plug. Here we go. So here we are at the top of the hour. And I always say that time flies, but dang, time flew today. I looked at the clock and went, oh my gosh, I can't believe what time it is already. Thank you for all of the great ideas and the robust discussion. This has been wonderful. I hope everyone has great plans for the weekend. I know we've got Halloween happening here stateside. I uh, don't know how big of a deal it is outside of the States, but get your candy because it's, it's that time. I know Doug already signed off, but I'm in Philly's country. So woo-hoo, it's going to be a good weekend. Is it? <laughs> yes. I mean, they're playing in Houston, but it's, you know, it'll be on a TV everywhere I go. So. It will be on a TV everywhere. Thank you 
you everyone for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. I hope everyone brought their popcorn to this one as it was a pretty energetic conversation. So what were the key takeaways today? First, it's important to acknowledge that many people depend on us to spoon feed them content. They expect to be told where, when, how to consume training in the workplace. Now this is partially our fault as we have decided learning needs to be dropped and scheduled without thinking about how we can help people really take ownership of their own learning. So how do we break the habit? Now, there were many great ideas, such as creating non-linear learning maps by topic rather than by job role, raising awareness that the organization actually supports learning to learn initiatives, rewarding those who do invest in their own professional growth and development. However, what's critical is that we help people see the relevance and applicability to the job. Remember, learning must be interesting for people to be interested, but it's also about changing how we talk about learning in the workplace in general. Leaders have a tendency to treat learning as an afterthought, as a tick a box initiative or let's just get it out of the way, rather than a regular part of daily work activities and expectations. So now I suggest we experiment with self-directed learning activities. Create small experiments with small groups of people. If they don't work, fine. But if they do, you create champions who can help support learning efforts and help set a foundation for cultivating a culture of learning. So you want to join this conversation live? And you know you do. Go on over to learningrebels.com and sign on up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.